We read from Mark 6, 45 to 52. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go out ahead of him to Bethsaida, where he, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went on up to a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Thank you, David. Good morning. Well, you'll be happy to know that the mystery has been solved about how Jesus was able to walk on water. There have been scientific studies shown in the Journal of Paleolimnology, which I know many of you subscribe to. Dr. Doron Knopf wrote an article in there showing how Jesus was able to walk on water. And in their study, they showed that a combination of atmospheric conditions coming together would have caused ice to form on the Sea of Galilee, therefore allowing Jesus to walk out to his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. This rare combination of atmospheric pressure happens only once every thousand years, maybe. But they have shown that this is probably the case. And so, in essence, Jesus surfed on an iceberg uh, out to his disciples. I don't know what takes more faith to believe. But Dr. Knopf, I think, in his story, his theory, deals more with the psyche. On taking that which we do not understand, and we try to explain it away. The miracles of God which we cannot fathom, and we dismiss them. And I think one of the questions for us is, do we do the same? Do we try to dismiss Jesus and his miracles? Do we try to dismiss Jesus and and the work that he's doing in our lives as he's transforming our hearts? Do we try to dismiss him? We don't really know who he is. Do we not believe in him and his power, the power of the resurrection that we sung about this morning? That his son, God's son Jesus, was sent to us to die on the cross for our sin, but that he rose again and that he offers life to anyone who shall believe upon him. But we want to dismiss all that away. He didn't really rise again. He doesn't really have power over life and death. He's not the creator. He's not God. And so we dismiss Jesus because we don't understand him. We don't understand his love. We don't understand his salvation, his purpose. And so in our confusion, we put him aside. But the truth is, 
Jesus did walk on water. And we know this because Steve Evans told me so. He was there. It's his birthday today, by the way. Where's Steve? There's Steve over there. Give him a little birthday. How old is Steve, you ask? Well, that AARP card is definitely worn out. We'll just say that much. Jesus walked on water. And I want to suggest to you uh, three areas uh, that I see in this passage on why Jesus walked on water that are, that are woven all throughout this narrative. I believe that he walked on water to be present in the storm with his disciples. I believe that he walked on water to reveal himself more fully to his disciples. And I believe he walked on water to grow his disciples up, to mature their faith, to help them to know him more and strengthen their faith in him. So let's pray this morning that the Lord will reveal that to us and and honestly that we will come to know Jesus more this morning as we see who he is in this passage. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it's living and active. And I know in just the reading of your word that you're penetrating hearts. And so, Father, use me this morning to uh, clarify and to open our eyes to your truth. And Father, I thank you that you reveal yourself to us more and more. And I thank you that you love us and are present with us. And I thank you that you continue to grow us up. And so do so this morning, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, it had been an amazing day. Jackson taught us last week on the feeding of the 5,000. And here, here's an incredible miracle. How is it possible? Surely the disciples would believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is Lord. Surely they would. But they don't quite seem to get it yet. They're still learning about Jesus and who he is and how it's playing out. And we're, we're blown away by that. You see, the disciples had been walking with Jesus. They had... They had been experiencing His power, His healing touch upon people. They experienced the, the, the rooftop falling in on their heads as the lame man was laid before Jesus' feet. And they heard Jesus say, Your sins are forgiven you. Rise up. You are healed. They saw Jesus cast out demons and they walked with Jesus. And then Jesus empowered them to go and do the same where they were casting out demons and healing, how could they not know who Jesus really was? I love this story because it reveals the character of God through His Son Jesus about how patient He is with us as we get to know Him. How He longs for us to be in relationship, to know Him fully, but He is so patient with us. And He keeps digging into our hearts. I want you to know me more. I want you to know me more. You haven't fully got it yet. And he's doing that with his disciples. But right in the middle of the scene, there's this frenzy that's happening. John chapter 6 tells us that the people, after the feeding of the 5,000, they wanted to make Jesus king. 
And so there was all of a sudden this real push and the poll numbers were great. It's kind of like Trump right now, you know? It was kind of a frenzy over him. Everybody was hopping on board. Let's make him king. And Jesus gets his disciples in a boat and sends them out. I think it's a wonderful covering for and care for his disciples. Because you know what? I think the disciples too were prone to, you know, we want Jesus to be this mighty king. We want to be this deliverer who's going to conquer death and conquer this oppression. And we want to be part of that posse with Jesus. But we know how Jesus works throughout this gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. It doesn't look anything like you thought it would. It's this humble king who's coming to die on the cross for your sin. It doesn't play out like you thought. And so he sends his disciples out into the boat. Because they're wanting to make him king. The scriptures say it's immediately after he fed them. And and the word is, is he constrained them. He basically forced them to get in the boat and go to the other side over to Bethsaida, which means fishing town. It's where several of the disciples grew up. And so he's sending them over there. And he's compelling them. He's moving them. And, And one of the things I don't want you to miss, and we'll visit this throughout the passage, can't miss this. Jesus sent them, basically forced them, into the sea, into the storm. It's Jesus who sent them. They didn't want to go. Jesus constrained them and said, go to the other side. You go, okay, Lord, what are you doing with your disciples? What is it that's happening here? Why would you send them into the storm? Why do you walk on water out to them? Well, Jesus loves his disciples, and there's all these actions of our Lord Jesus that are taking place. I want you to see that in the scriptures. So he sends them, he dismisses the crowd, and after leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to do what? To pray. Isn't that Jesus' life? He was always, always checking in with the Father. How are we doing in that area? Brothers and sisters, checking in with the Father. When we wake up in the morning, Lord, what do you have for today? When we're right in the middle of stuff, Lord, what do you got for me right in the middle of this trial? How are we doing on checking in with the Father? Jesus always checked in with the Father. And he went up on the mountainside to pray. Why did he do that? What was he praying about? I think one of the things that we see about Jesus is that Jesus goes and he prays to the Father. We see it all throughout the Gospels. This was a regular routine for Jesus. I think one of the reasons he went up to pray is just to rest in the Father. It had been a busy, busy day. They actually, before they were feeding the 5,000, remember, they were exhausted. They were trying to find a place of rest. They couldn't rest. And so he goes, and I think he's praying, and I think he's just resting in the Father. Lord, minister to me. Fill me up. I'm exhausted. I think he's praying and thanking God for all that he just did through him and through the disciples. Being thankful to the Father for the ministry that just took place. I think he's praying over those 5,000 plus. Remember Jackson taught us last week and, and said, Jesus had incredible compassion for these people. It was to the gut. Right out of the gut, his his compassion for these people. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
They were lost. They didn't know how to have life. And so I think Jesus is praying for them that they would find life through their son, through Jesus. And then I think he's praying about the disciples. Maybe one of the first things he's saying to the fathers, Hey, Lord. Hey, Father, is there 12 other guys, maybe, that we could take a look at? These guys do not get it. They've been walking with me, and they're still dumbfounded about all this taking place. Is there another crew that maybe we could look at? You can hear the Father going, No, this is who I've chosen through you. These are going to be the ones that are going to bring the gospel, the good news of who you are, son. These are the ones we're going to use to show the glory of God. These are the ones that are going to change the world through the life of Christ. These are the ones we've chosen. So then, I think the conversation is, okay, Father, how do we prepare them for that? Why does Jesus walk on water? Growing up as disciples, being present in the storm, coming right out to them. So he prays for them, growing them up. That's the business that the Lord is in, isn't he? Conforming us constantly into the image of Christ, scriptures uh, say. Teaching us the character, growing us in his character. Doesn't it say that he who began the good work will what? He will continue it until when? Until the day of his coming. Isn't Jesus in the business of growing us up, maturing us in Christ? The answer to that question is yes, he is. He will continue to mature us. And we never know what that's going to look like. And he was in that business with his disciples in the boat. But he's present in the storm, walking on the water. He loves his disciples. He loves you and me. So he sends them out into the storm. And then he goes up and he's praying over them. Look look the next thing that he does. When evening came, the boat's in the middle of the lake. He's alone on the land. And look at verse 48 very clearly. He saw his disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Jesus, our Heavenly Father, Jesus, Trinity, power of God, Jesus is always watching over his children. Always. Like a parent of a newborn. We all know this. That newborn, when they come home from the hospital, They are set in that bassinet right next to our bed, aren't they? And then we watch. We watch every breath. We listen. We never sleep. It's true. And neither does God. He sees it all. And He is watching, and He knows every breath. He knows exactly what you're in the middle of. He knows everything about your life. And he cares. And he watches. He prays over you. He watches over you. That is who our God is. That is who our Jesus is. And he saw the disciples straining at the oars. This again was this buffeting wind that was coming against them. This is the same story, by the way, that where Peter tried to step out of the boat, just so you know, in the other Gospels. It's a strong wind. 
It's scary. They're in the middle of it. And we often tend to think that we're in the middle of the lake and we're, we're against a strong wind and Jesus doesn't care. We feel alone. We feel, we feel threatened in our lives. We don't see Jesus coming out to us. We feel like maybe he's taking a nap. But he's not. That's the furthest thing from the truth. He sees his children. He sees what's going on. And he has purpose for his disciples. He has purpose for us in his growing us up in Christ. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare, for your well-being, not for evil. I have plans, declares the Lord, to give you a hope and to give you a future. Then hear the promises of God to his people. Then you will call upon me and you will come and you will pray to me. I will hear you. You will seek me. And the promise of God is you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 11. You see, God has good purposes for his disciples because God is good. But he's also in the business of growing us up in Christ. And part of the way is by walking on water, being present in the storm with them. Now, here's something that's interesting. Again, coming back to Jesus sent them into the storm. Now, when Jesus said, get in the boat, go to the other side, how did the disciples respond? Did they say, no way, Jesus, we're not doing it, we're tired, we want to catch the football game today and just hang out? Did he say, no, they were obedient. You got to catch this. They were wanting to follow the commands of Jesus. And so in obedience, they got into the boat. And not a really good time of the night to go out in the boat. You just typically wouldn't do that. But in obedience, they get in the boat. Jesus sends them. A storm starts to rage. But you know what? That storm is not a sign that they are outside of the will of God. Do you catch that? Actually, I think they're right in the middle of the will of God for what he's doing with their life. That storm is not an indicator that they're outside of the will of God. In obedience, they step out and they are sent into the storm. And God has good purpose for their lives as he's going to reveal himself more and more to them. And he goes in. The disciples are straining at the oars. They're tormented, the the language has. The, the, The word also has the idea of they're being tested it's like a, a touchstone that is, that is used to, to test the purity of gold and silver. I think that seems to be fitting here. There's a testing of their purity of who they are. Do you understand, dear disciples, who I am, really? Do you know me? I want you to know me. And I want you to have life in me. And then I want you to take the message of the gospel that only life can be found in me and I want you to deliver it to the world. But they need to know him first. Do you know me? You're being tested. I think the scene is that they're, they're straining against the wind and in essence, they're going backwards. They end up in Gennesaret. They're not making any headway. I think it gives us a picture of, of their faith struggle. 
They're struggling in their faith to know Jesus. They don't get it. They've seen all these miracles. They've seen what God is doing in their lives and those around, and they're struggling in their faith to believe it. They seem to be taking each each miracle and and putting it in in a compartment instead of getting the big picture. Do you see all that God is doing here through His Son, Jesus, who is God in the flesh? And they're struggling in their faith. Just like we are at times, right? And we're not making any headway. And yet the Lord is going to be present in the storm with us and continue to reveal Himself to us and continue to grow us up. That's who our Lord is. Patient with us. Again, it might have been easier to get another 12 guys, but no way. These guys are going to know me fully. You, dear saints, are going to know Him fully. And so He grows. He sends, He prays, He sees, and then look what He does. And then He comes out to them on the lake. He comes out to them. And look when He comes. It says it's the fourth watch of the night. We know that to be around 3 a.m., 4 a.m. in the morning. That's the, that's the darkest time of the night, isn't it? Our Lord comes to us in the darkest times of the night. Because that's who our God is. A God who has incredible compassion upon us. I sat with my dear friends in the hospital room just two days ago. My buddy was in the hospital because uh, his heart was racing and they couldn't figure out quite what was going on. And so they were trying to, to lower the heart rate and get the blood pressure all right and everything like that. And they thought maybe it was blood clots that were taking place. And he's dealing with cancer as well. And they've been doing treatments. And, and so there had been quite a bit of success with, with shrinking tumors. And, and, uh, but anyway, in the middle of the treatments, he had this heart condition. So we're in emergency. Doctor comes in. And he says, hey, we did all the scans of, of your lungs and legs and... and uh, we're not finding blood clots. But, he says, uh, unfortunately, we think what's causing the, the issues is that all of those tumors are growing uh, to incredible sizes. The, the cancer is spreading and the tumors are becoming quite large. That's a dark night of the soul, isn't it? But Jesus came into that room. Jesus was present with us. And he ministered to us right where we're at in that darkest moment of the night. And he revealed himself to us. And we know he still loves us and loves that, that man who's struggling with cancer, seriously struggling. That's who our God is. That's who our Jesus is. And he comes. He prays. He sees, he's watching over, he enters in, and so he'll walk on the water for you. Because our God can, because he is God, and all authority over your life is in him. He gives you every breath. That's who our God is. And so he reveals. He doesn't do what he did in Mark 4 right away. We think he's going to come and just shut down the wind. But he has other purposes. Jesus walks on water to be present with his disciples. His care, his love. They started long before they were out on the sea. 
He guarded their hearts from the frenzy to make Jesus king because there's another kingdom and what it's going to look like. He's praying over them. He's watching them. He sees them. And he walks on water to respond to their cry. He is present with them. That's who our Lord is. Jesus walks on water. Again, everybody has reasons why. Everybody tries to show ways on how he did it. You know, Mark Twain actually visited the Holy Land in 1867. And he wrote some journals on his visit there. It was pretty stark land at the time, and and he comments on that. But he one night, he was with his wife, and he one night went to the... uh, went to the Sea of Galilee, and he, he wanted to have a nice romantic uh, boat ride out onto the Sea of Galilee. And he came down to the boat, and he thought it was a moonlit night. It was perfect in Israel, and the sea was calm. And so there was an oarsman down there with a small boat, and he said, how much would it be to take a boat ride? And the oarsman looked at him, and, and Mark Twain dressed in a white suit, and he wore a white cowboy hat. And the oarsman thought, this guy is this wealthy, wealthy American. And so he said, well, for you, my friend. This is 1867, mind you. Only $25. I calculated that out on the Internet, you know, with inflation. Basically, $400 is what he said the price would be. $400 for a nice lake ride. Mark Twain said, "Uh, no, thank you. Not going to do it. And he took his wife aside and they're walking away. And he says to his wife, no wonder Jesus walked. (laughs) It may be one of the reasons the boats were too expensive. But I think it's more than that. He performs an incredible miracle by walking on the water. He surfs on an iceberg out to him. You know, it's interesting that the Jews were raised up to believe this about God. God, holy God. They were raised up to believe, and this comes out of Job. It's God who tramples down the waves of the sea, Job 9 says. And out of Psalm 77, it is the Lord's way. His way is in the sea, the paths in mighty waters, and in reference to the Exodus and the parting of the sea. See, God has authority over the sea. They thought sometimes that 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 evil would dwell in the sea and that God has authority over that. He controls it. It's not evil. It's God. I want to reveal myself and my authority. I walk on the sea. I have authority over it because I'm God. He wanted the disciples to see this. He comes out. And then we get this strange verse. Again, the Lord's full of compassion and He sees them struggling. And you hear their cry and you're right there with them. You're going, Lord, I'm struggling too. And then look what He says at the end of verse 48. It's like, ah, finally the Lord is coming to me. And then it says, He was about to pass them by. You go, what? Is this a cruel joke? Was there, was there like a bet on shore? Like, hey, who can get to Bethsaida first? And, and you know, and he calms them up, he hooks them up in a storm and comes cruising by and see you guys later. What is Jesus doing? He's about to pass them by 
That doesn't seem very loving. It doesn't seem fitting of all that he's doing. The the scriptures actually say he, he wished to pass them by. Well, what's this all about? Remember, the Lord is the one who sent them into the storm. The Lord did it. He compelled them. He pushed them to go. Well, what's God doing through his son, Jesus? Well, you know what? Parents know this pretty well. And maybe you've experienced this. Sometimes the best way to help or someone grow or learn is by holding back. Or put another way, not helping is actually helping. I think of, of when I learned to ride a bike or when I was teaching my children to ride a bike. And as parents, as I released Caleb and he's on his bike and, and, and we're we're going and you're running and you, and you do the you do the release and you're 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 nervous but they're actually they're released from you you're not holding on you're not present anymore with them you're not giving them that stability and then what happens right every time they take off then what happens they get going and all of a sudden there's kind of a shout of joy but then they get really wobbly right and what do we as parents always want to do our immediate thought is oh i need to save them from the wobble But the reality is, if they don't learn to get their balance in that wobble, they'll never be able to ride. Not helping is helping. We release them, they go through the wobble, and then they learn to ride. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. I'm wanting you to experience the wobble. And and I'm going to let you ride. I'm going to let you grow in this area. He wished to pass them by. Jesus doesn't intend to intervene right at first. He does intend for his disciples to see him walking by. Again, I think a reminder, only God has authority over the sea. I think he's hoping that they'll, they'll recognize this. Our eyes are open. This is Jesus walking on the sea. Only God has that authority. But they didn't see that, did they? What do the disciples need most? Help at the oars? Or understanding who Jesus is? He doesn't shut down the wind. He doesn't make it any easier for their progress. Doesn't he care? You know, that same question was asked in chapter 4, wasn't it? in the storm story? Jesus, don't you care? And the answer we know to that question about the character of Jesus and about the character of God is, I care more than you ever know. I always care because you're my children. He's about to pass them by, growing his disciples up in their faith. What do they need to learn? You know, one of the things that, that... kind of stuck out to me in my study this last several weeks is Jesus tells his disciples later on in the Gospels, it'll be good for me to go. There will be another who will come, the Holy Spirit, in my place. And I wonder if part of this passing by was Holy Spirit preparation. I'm not going to be here physically always. I'm not going to be here in this form always. You need to be able to trust and be able to call upon me and know 
I will be present with you. Know that you can depend on me. Know that you can lean into me. Know that I am your rock and your foundation. You need to know that in all that's going on. He was about to pass them by. They don't quite get it still. They, he's passing by, and instead of seeing Jesus with all the authority of God, they, they think it's a ghost. They're buying into the legends of the land. But Jesus is doing so much more in passing by. Do you, do you remember any other phrases in the Scriptures where we see passing by happening? Remember that time with Moses? Moses is going to be put in the cleft of the rock because God is going to pass by. Did the same thing with Elijah. Elijah's afraid. All the Baal prophets are killing all the, all the priests or all the uh, prophets and, and, and the uh, religious leaders of God. Puts, he's in the cave and Elijah, God passes by Elijah and prepares him. Every time that God passes by his saints... He's going to do a great thing through them. Do you see that? And I think the imagery, and it's the same wording that we see in the Old Testament, that he's passing by, and he's about to do great things through them. I want you to see I'm the God who passes by, and now I'm going to empower you to have life in me and to bring forth my gospel and my good news. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus was about to pass by those disciples. They didn't recognize the resurrected Christ and they invite him in, and he breaks bread with them. And it says, when he broke bread with them, their eyes were open, and they saw that it was Jesus. That's what Jesus wants here. And he says, don't be afraid. It is I. And he gets into the boat with them. And then what happens? It's calm down. He says, it is I. Don't be afraid. I want you to see me. I want you to know who I am. It is I. Moses said to God, God, you want me to go to Pharaoh. Who do you want me to tell is the one that sent me here to Pharaoh? And remember what God says to Moses? Tell him, I am sent you. This is what Jesus says here. It is I am. It is I am. Do you understand? I am God in the flesh. You need to know me. You need to know that I'm the one who has authority to give life. You need to know where all this power comes from. It is I am. Don't be afraid. I will walk on water so that you know me. So that you'll know my presence and my love and my life in you. I am is here and I calm the storms. But they struggled. It says they didn't get it. They didn't understand the loaves. They didn't understand that God is the God who feeds His people. God is the God who provides manna from heaven for His people. Only God can do that. And they're still learning. And their hearts were hard. But it's only God who can break hard hearts. And He's going to do that with His disciples. But He's patient with them. And He enters in with them. And He's present. It's only God who can transform hearts and give new life. And He's going to do that with His disciples. But He's growing them up in the middle. Our God walks on water to be present with you. Our God walks on water to...
to show you who He really is. He is the Savior. He is life. He is the one who was resurrected from the dead. And He comes to grow you up that you might know Him more and more each day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You reveal Yourself to us. And I pray right now, Father, that You are penetrating hearts that have been hard. They've tried to dismiss You and all that You're doing in their lives. And right now, Father, I pray that those hearts would receive You. I pray that their eyes are opened and that they would receive You as Lord and Savior and allow You to change their hearts forever. So, Father, do that for us as a body. Open our eyes. May we see You more and more and know You. And, Father, may we be conformed more and more into Your image, we pray. We love You, Lord Jesus. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. You are the God who walks on water. Amen.